We're in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 to 35, as Russ read earlier. And I know that we did a summary flyover of Exodus 34 as a whole last week, but we're going to look a little bit deeper into these verses this morning, verse 29 to 35. And these texts, these verses, they really present us, interestingly enough, with the perfect opportunity to misread the Bible. If you've ever read stories like David and Goliath, for example, that's another opportunity where we can misread the Bible and to think, hey, I just need to be like David. I need to slay my giants. And that's not what the story is about. What we miss completely in missing the context is that we are Israel in that story. We are hiding in the camp unable and afraid to slay our giants. We desperately need God's champion to intervene on our behalf and hope in him. And when we do, what does he do? He slays the giant with a stone. What's the message to us when we read that story? That we need to hope in God's true champion. And what does he do on our behalf? He slays our greatest giant. Sin, separation from God, and Satan. And how does he do it? With a stone rolled away from a cave. This text is another example where we can misread the Bible when we see Moses spending time with God, 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God, and he comes down the mountain and his face is shining. The, 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 the easy thing, the, the temptation to, to, is to just jump on the, why doesn't your face shine like Moses trained? The do more, try harder, spend more time in the presence of God, and you will shine like Moses, but we are not Moses in this text. We are Israel in this text. And what is Israel doing? They're cowering in fear because of their sin. They're afraid of what God and His glory is going to do to them when He comes in their midst. But what do we see in this text? Moses calls them out of the shadows and into the light. We need a mediator like Moses and so this morning what we're going to do is look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 to 35, and we're going to look at the context, the text in context, because if we don't, we miss the glory of the text. And Paul says there's an immense amount of glory in this text, but he says it's infinitely surpassed by the glory that is in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to see the text in context. We need to see what it says about Moses. We need to see what it says about God. And then we need to see ultimately how it points us to Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do this morning as we study our text. First, the text in context. Exodus chapter 34 is the, the end, bookend, to a long block of text. The block of text is Exodus chapter 19 to chapter 34. This is a huge chunk of text that we've been studying over the past several weeks and past several months, really. And what happens in Exodus chapter 34 and chapter 19? In chapter 19, God descended on a mountain and called a mediator up to his presence, into his midst, and then communicated through that mediator the word of God, the law of God, established a relationship with the people. He established a people out of nothing. And in establishing these people, he establishes a covenant relationship with them and promises to dwell in their midst. Fast forward to chapter 32, and what happened? In chapter 32, Israel rebels. They reject this covenant relationship with God. They reject the mediator. They doubt the mediator. What has happened to this man, Moses? Where is he? Should we even trust him? Why? And they completely reject this relationship with God. And now their relationship is severed. 
And beginning in chapter 32, verse 11, on into chapter 33, what does God provide? He provides a mediator. And what does the mediator do? He intercedes between this, this sinful people and God. He mediates the presence of God. He intercedes, he pleads the glory of God, the presence of God, that God would not destroy this people. Instead, he offers himself up as a sacrifice to atone for their sins. And that leads us to chapter 34. In chapter 34, we see God's mediator has intervened. But in chapter 30, really 32, 33, 34, we see that he's intervened. But this relationship between God and Israel is now different. That God has descended and proclaimed himself as the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sin. But something is different. Where God promised to come and dwell among the people, now he's only dwelling and communing with Moses. And where is that? Outside the camp in chapter 33. Where God was coming to speak with the people, now he only speaks to Moses. Their relationship is a mediated relationship. What's going to happen? How is a holy God going to dwell among sinful people once again? Moses recognizes that he has this favor of God in chapter 33, verse 12 to 13. He says, I recognize that I have your favor, that you have given me your favor. But he doesn't just absorb it for himself. He instead pleads that favor out on the people of God. In chapter 33, 12 to 13, he prays to see the presence of God, the face of God. I want to see your way, he says, and I want to see your glory. That's another way of saying, I want to see your face. I want to see your presence. If I have your, your presence, your favor, how do I know that your favor is going to go with us, he says. Not just me, with us, the sinful people. How do I know that you are going to be a good and gracious, merciful God in the midst of a sinful people? And in Exodus thirty three fourteen, God answers and he says, My presence which is another way, that Hebrew word of translating, my face will go with you and give you rest. My presence, my face, literally, will go in the midst of a sinful people and I will give you rest. So God is a merciful and gracious God, but we learn in chapter 34, verse 5, 6, and 7, that he's also a just God. So how is God, a, a holy God, going to dwell with a sinful people? How is God going to come in their midst? More specifically, how is the face of God going to, to go with the very people, these sinful people? How is he going to go in their midst once again? No one is prepared for the answer. Not even Moses himself. The answer is God is going to come to dwell in the midst of his sinful people once again in the face of his shining mediator, the shining face of his mediator. That's how God will dwell as a holy God in the midst of a sinful people. This is how God will once again dwell with his people. And think about it. We've seen, we've been studying since chapter 19. Moses has gone up and down this mountain multiple times. Like, we've lost count, and some scholars don't even know how many times that he went up and down the mountain. He's gone up and down into the presence of God multiple times. And what 
Did he come back every time? He did not come back with a shining face. So we have to ask the question, why now? Why is Moses coming back into the the presence of the people with this shining face of the glory of God on his face? Why now? Why does Israel need this story more than ever at this very moment in their history? What does it teach them about Moses? What does it teach them about God? And ultimately, what does it teach us about the shining face of our mediator, Jesus Christ? That's our, our, our big three points this morning. First, what does it teach about Moses? Moses' shining face verifies that Moses is God's anointed leader, sent by God to speak on behalf of God. This is my mediator. Listen to him. That's the message. That's the message to Israel. That's what they're supposed to hear, first and foremost. They've doubted Moses at every turn through this entire book. They've questioned him. Moses has questioned himself, but they have questioned Moses all along. And when we go back to their fall in in Exodus chapter 32, it leads off in in verses 1 and 2 with where we don't know what has happened to this Moses, this man that led us out of Egypt. What has happened to him? Why should we believe him? Why should we trust him? Why should we follow him? Who is he? They begin to question him. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, verse 1, 32, chapter 32, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Why should he be trusted? Why should we follow him? Why should we believe that Moses is the anointed one sent by God. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 to 35, they get their answer. Why? Because he's marked by the very presence of God. The very glory of God is beaming off of Moses' face. He has come down from the mountain, down from the presence of God. It says twice in verse 1. Of chapter 34, sorry, 34, 29. Twice he comes down. It says, he has come down from the mountain, down from the presence. He reflects the very glory of God, the very face of God. He's marked by the very character of God, the very nature of God. He's carrying on his face. Why should you believe him? Why should you follow him? The evidence is written on his face. It's been written in all of his works. It wasn't Moses that did the plagues. It wasn't Moses that came up with the idea to do the plagues. It wasn't Moses that, that, that had the power to do these supernatural miracles. It wasn't Moses that led them to the Red Sea and crossed the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea. It was God that did these things. It wasn't Moses that provided for them in the wilderness the, the, between the Red Sea and this moment. It wasn't Moses that provided for them manna from heaven. It was God who has done this. And he's done this through the mediator, through the work, through the person of Moses. Therefore, they must, they should and they must listen to him. He's speaking the very words of God, bringing the very presence of God into their midst. He is God's anointed. Fast forward to the New Testament. When we fast forward to the New Testament, we see over and over again, people are asking the very same questions of Jesus. Why should we believe him? 
Why should we follow him? Who is this man? Why on earth should we trust what he's saying? Why should we believe in him? Maybe that's a question that some of you are asking this morning. Maybe it's a question that you've asked previously in your life. And the answer is the same. Jesus himself says, what does the evidence say? In John chapter 5, verse 1 to 40, Jesus says, look at the words that I've spoken. Look at the works, the supernatural miracles that I have, have done. Listen to what the Father has said about me. What do the works, what are the words, what is the nature, what are the evidence, what does everything say about who I am? What does the evidence say? In John chapter 9, they're still questioning Jesus. In John chapter 9, the Pharisees are asking, who is this man? Jesus heals a man that was born blind from birth. And they immediately, the Pharisees, jump on this man that was born blind from birth and begin to ask him all sorts of questions. John chapter 9, verse 26 to 29. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The blind man that, that, that now sees, he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? Love that question. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. And listen to what they say immediately after that. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Question, how do the Pharisees know that God has spoken to Moses? Hundreds of years later, after this incident, how do they even know? How are they so confident that God has spoken to Moses? Because of this scene. Because they, the Israelites saw the very face, the very glory of God shining, reflecting off the face of Moses. And for hundreds of years, they recounted generation after generation this story. Because of the plagues, the supernatural miracles, because of the Red Sea, because of the booming voice of God thundering forth from Exodus chapter 19 on the top of Mount Sinai, and now because of the shining face of Moses. Generation after generation, they told this story, they told these stories, they told it, and and the Pharisees are rock-solid confident because of the works, because of the words, because of the shining face of Moses that God spoke to him. And now, what do they have in their midst? The true and better Moses, whose works, words, and very shining face, very nature, proclaims. And it dumbfounds the man that was born blind. He is dumbfounded. He's, he's rightly just unbelievably dumbfounded, the man now, that now sees says, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where Jesus comes from, yet he opened my eyes. There's not been a man throughout history that has been blind, born blind from birth and been healed. And you don't know where he comes from. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, the evidence is clear. Jesus is God's anointed one. Jesus is God's mediator. Jesus is the, the true and better Moses. Jesus is the one sent by God to proclaim the message of God, to reconcile us to God. Therefore, we must 
Listen to him. And those very words are not just implied in Jesus' words, in Jesus' works, and on Jesus' face. They're spoken, booming forth from the very mouth of God, from another high mountain. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, Jesus goes up on a high mountain, Matthew says. And he is transfigured there, and his face shone bright like the sun, and his clothes radiated glory. He's transfigured, he's transformed, he's shining on a mountaintop, the very glory and presence of God. Peter, James, and John are witnessing the scene, and Matthew is so intent on us understanding who Jesus is. He says, and there, what did they see? They saw Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus, speaking with him. Do you realize that there are only two men in all of the scriptures that are said to have stood on Mount Sinai? Mount Horeb is another name for it in 1 Kings chapter 19. Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb. Moses and Elijah stood on Mount Sinai 40 days in a cave, heard the voice of God, and got to feel or sense or see the presence of God pass by. What is Matthew communicating in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 to 5? What are we supposed to understand? Jesus is the true and better Moses, the true and better Elijah. He is the mediator. He doesn't just, he wasn't just on, he didn't go up on the mountain 40 days. He went up one, just immediately he's transfigured. He didn't go up to, to he, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. Jesus went up to fulfill the law and the prophets. This is amazing. He doesn't just get to experience the presence of God passing by. He is the very presence of God on earth, in the flesh. He doesn't just hear the booming voice of God speak to him. Instead, what it says in verse 5 is that the booming voice of God speaks forth from a cloud, a bright cloud at the top of a mountain, just like Sinai, and he speaks about Jesus. And he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. What does all of the evidence proclaim in the text about Moses? He is God's anointed one. And what is he pointing us to? And what does all the evidence in the New Testament tell us? Jesus is God's anointed one. He is the true mediator we desperately need. All of this leads us to a second message that is in the text about who Jesus is and what we're supposed to, to learn here, and that is what it says about God. The second reason that we need this, that Israel needs this story, and that we need this story, is because of what it tells us about God. Moses' shining face confirms to the people God truly is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And faithfulness, forgiving the sins, iniquities, and transgressions of his people. How does it communicate that? How does the, the text communicate that this is who God really is? Notice what we see here. Moses' shining face confirms that God is a merciful God, that God has not forsaken his people, but instead has come to dwell in the midst of a sinful people. Look at the people's reaction in the text. 
When Moses came down from the Mount, Mount Sinai with two tablets of, tes- of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with him. You say, maybe you wonder, well, shouldn't this be a pretty amazing moment? Shouldn't this be a moment of great joy? Why immediately do they hide in fear? Let's remember what's happened. In Exodus chapter 2, they've forsaken God. They've rebelled against him. They've done exactly what he told them not to do. They've made an idol. They've made an image and replaced him. They've broken the covenant. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 3 and 5, God says to the people, If I should come in your midst, even for just a single moment, I will consume you. So they are rightly afraid. The last time they heard the booming voice of God, the last time they heard anything, God said, I will consume you. And now His glory is shining forth on the face of Moses. And they rightly go and hide. They're terrified. What is God going to do? His glory is in our midst. His glory is on the face of Moses. Is he going to destroy us? Is he going to ruin us? Is he going to crush us? Is he going to kill us? What's God going to do? And what does he do in the text? Moses, his mediator, comes and beckons them to come out of the shadows. Come home. Come home. Come into the presence of God. Come see the face of God. Come see your Father who loves you and wants you. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have failed. Yes, you have rebelled. But there is a mediator standing between you and God. Come and receive Him. This is the message to Israel. Your God has not forsaken you though you rebelled, though you sinned. He still wants you. He still loves you. He's still after you. He's still chasing you. And He's calling you to come home out of the shadows. To come out of the shadows and to come into the light of the glory of the face of God. This is the message to Israel. And church, this is our message too. Do you hear it? This is so amazing and so wonderful. God is a merciful and gracious God. But He's also just and will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. So how will a holy God dwell once again in the midst of a sinful people? He's either going to have to consume them because of their sin... Or he's going to have to turn a blind eye towards their sin and then he could be accused of being an unjust God. So which is it? Neither. Instead, what he's going to do is pour out his glory on his mediator. Pour out the weight of his presence on his mediator and his mediator is going to pour out his grace on his people. The mediator is going to absorb the glory of God, the weight, the wrath, the holiness of God. And the mediator is going to pour out his grace on his people. It's the mediator that's the answer. 
Look at how, look at how they respond, how the mediator responds. He doesn't come to crush. He doesn't come to consume. He doesn't come to ruin. He comes inviting them in. And church, this is so unbelievable. Listen to what Moses does. It says Moses called to them. That Hebrew word means he summoned them. He called them. He, 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 he called their name. He, he beckoned them to come. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, right after Adam and Eve rebelled against God, do you remember what they did? They hid. They hid from the presence or from the face of God. And do you remember what God did? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, he came in the cool of the garden and he called. It's the same Hebrew word. He summoned them. He summoned them home. He summoned them back. He called their name. And then what it says in our text is that Moses spoke to or talked with the people. That's the same word in Hebrew that, that it uses where God spoke to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. What are we seeing in Genesis chapter 3? What are we seeing in Exodus chapter 34 is a retelling of the creation, fall, and redemption narrative. What we're seeing here in this text is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus has not come to ruin your life. Jesus hasn't come to condemn you. We stand condemned already. Jesus has come to give us life, to invite us home, to invite us into the presence of God, to invite us into the very face of our Heavenly Father. This is why Jesus has come. He is God's anointed one who displays the infinite grace of God towards us he beckons us to come out of the shadows and into the light. And therefore, we must listen to him. And that leads us to our third point, our last point, and why this story is so important. This story is certainly radically important in the history of Israel. It's, it's telling them that their God has not forsaken them, but instead has provided for them a mediator. And that mediator is calling them home. And this story ultimately is pointing us to Jesus. It tells us that the glory of the shining face of Jesus is infinitely better than this story and desperately needed. Infinitely better and desperately needed. As we've noted, this story already is capturing the entire story of the Bible. It's so glorious. It's so amazing. It's unbelievable that, that the story of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, God created, established a people entered into a relationship with the people. Those people rebelled against Him. And despite their sin and their rebellion, God makes a way. He comes in their midst. He calls them home. And what does He do? He promises a Redeemer. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, He promises a Mediator. That story is being retold in Exodus 19 to 34. It's dripping from every word. Creation, fall, redemption. It's everywhere in the text. And it's especially here in this text. It's the gospel in a nutshell. This story is so amazing. It's so glorious. 
But Paul says, this is startling. This is shocking. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, this story is glorious. He takes no glory from it, but he calls it a ministry of death fading away. What is Paul saying? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, what Paul is saying in verses 7 down to 18, what Paul is saying is everything we're reading here in Exodus 34, Exodus 19 to 34, everything we read here, everything Moses is doing is glorious. It's amazing. It's wonderful. But Moses is not the redeemer we need. Moses is not the mediator we desperately need. Moses is only a picture, only a shadow on the way to reality. Only a hotel room we pass through on the way to the true destination. Moses is not, it talks about Moses as a mediator. He's not the mediator. It talks about, about Moses shining, reflecting the glory of God. But he's not the very glory of God. Moses is a picture. Moses is not Jesus. Jesus is the mediator we desperately need. And Jesus is the mediator we are given graciously by our loving Heavenly Father. This is what it's telling us about Jesus. This story is glorious, but we have to keep it in perspective. To Exodus 34, 29 and 35, it's glorious, it's amazing, but we have to keep it in perspective. It's the gospel in a nutshell, but it's only the nutshell. It's not the whole story. It's not the whole revelation of God, a merciful God, who is slow to anger, gracious, slow to anger, and instead abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving the sins, iniquities, and transgressions. It's not the whole revelation of that. Jesus is. Jesus is. Jesus is the full revelation of God. He is God himself. He is God in our midst, taken on flesh and blood. John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 18. No man has ever seen the face of God except for Jesus. And Jesus has come to make him known. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Do you realize radiance? That absolutely means just shine forth. But that word in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, it doesn't mean reflect like Moses. It means source. Moses is simply the moon. Jesus is the sun, S-U-N. The moon only reflects the glory of God. The sun is the light. Jesus is the sun. Jesus is the very glory of God. Reflecting, not reflecting, radiating the very image of God. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, listen, read this story. Be enamored by this story. Be moved by this story. But don't miss the point of this story. You and I are not Moses. We're Israel. Hiding in the shadows. In desperate need of God's mediator. Shining forth his face. And what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 is that's what we get in Jesus Jesus is our mediator that God has sent forth to call us out of the shadows. To call us out of the darkness and into the light, into the light of the glory of God's face. What Paul's saying is, yes, this story is amazing, but in Jesus, and he uses these words, in Jesus, in the gospel, in, in the ministry of the Spirit, 
in shining forth the face of Jesus, spotlighting Jesus, he says the gospel in 2 Corinthians 3 surpasses, exceeds, is far more glorious. Listen, don't miss this point. If we look at Moses and we say, man, I just need to be more like Moses, then you're going to ask the question naturally, well, why doesn't my face shine? We cannot have... We cannot experience all that Moses experiences in this text apart from the one Moses points us to. But church, here's the beauty of the gospel. If we receive, if we hope in, if we trust in the one that Moses points us to, we get infinitely more than what Moses got. Let's not forget what Moses asked. I want to see your ways Father, I want to see your glory. Father, I want to see your your face. And what did Moses get? He got put in a rock, in a cave, covered over, and he only got to see what it says in in, in the text is the back of God. And as Jack pointed out, that means he got to see where God once was. He got to see the remnant shadow glory of God. Moses didn't even get the full glory of God, the full face of God, the full presence of God. He got to see where God once was. And that was so radiant, so beautiful, so full of splendor. It radically shone forth from Moses' face. Do you realize what the Scriptures teach us? That in Jesus, we get the very face of God. The unadulterated smile of God on His children. That's what you get in Jesus. That's what we receive. That's what we will one day see. Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. We will see the glory of God. We will see the face of God. There will be no more need of lamp or light or sun because we will see in the shining face of God all of His glory. This is what we get in Jesus. This is our mediator. This is our Savior. He is the one we have to desperately, we desperately need. He is the one that that all of the Bible, every page is pointing towards. This story that we're reading in Exodus, it's beautiful, it's amazing. But the Bible, the whole Bible is not about God rescuing a people out of Egypt. It's not about God rescuing a people out of Egypt under the rule of a serpent king Pharaoh so that he can dwell in a building in their midst. No. All of it is pointing to God's plan to rescue a people out of sin and darkness, out from under the rule and the reign of the serpent king Satan so that God may not dwell in the building in their midst but may dwell in our hearts. And how does that happen? In Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and 6, following Paul's words on the ministry of death of, of, of Moses and, and the ministry of life that far surpasses that in Jesus, what Paul says is, how does that happen? It says God speaks forth and, and, and snaps his fingers and claps his hands and just like he did in Genesis and spoke forth and called light to shine. It says God illuminates our hearts to see the face of the glory of the gospel in Jesus. 
And Paul says it's as people turn to Jesus. Just like Moses turned into the presence of God and unveiled his face, when we turn to Jesus, we all with unveiled faces will see the glory of God. It's through Jesus. And what do we receive in Jesus? In Exodus, only one person is transformed and gets to experience the remnant glory of God. But in Jesus, we are all offered transformation. We are all offered new life and the full glory of God in the face, in seeing the face of God. And what a transformation it is. Our, our identities are transformed. We, are, we, we move from death to life, Paul says. We move from orphans to adopted sons and daughters. We, we move from darkness to light. In other words, we receive a radically new identity. We are transformed through the gospel, through faith in Christ, through our mediator Jesus. We are transformed. We're given a new identity. And you know what Jesus says? Now you Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, are the light of the world. Now you shine forth the glory of God on your faces. You say, my, my face is not shining. Your face is not shining. How do we shine the glory of God? We shine like lights in a dark world, Paul says in Philippians 2. We, our, our actions, our affections, our, everything we are, our allegiances, everything we are is radically new and radically transformed. And now we, we, we live radically different and we are lights in a dark world, illuminating our Savior and King Jesus. That's how you can experience what Moses experienced. And that's the only way. That's how we are transformed. And that's how we begin to shine. And so for all these reasons, we together labor and we together pray that we each of us and all of those that we know and our families and friends that are lost and their faces are still veiled. For all these reasons, we pray. May the Lord shine his face upon you and give you grace. May he lift up his countenance, which that word means face. May he lift up his face upon you and give you his peace and may we be radically transformed as the light of the world radiating the glory of Jesus the face of Jesus so that the world may know let's pray heavenly father despite all distractions despite all distractions of microphones and lord i pray that your word has been proclaimed I pray that the glory of the face of Jesus has been seen. I pray that we would pray as Psalm 27 says, You tell us to seek your face. Your face, O Lord, we seek. Hide not your face from us. Lord, if there's someone in this room that has not seen your face in the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus, may today be the day of their salvation. Lord, may the light of the gospel dawn in their hearts in their minds. May you give them the knowledge of the glory of the gospel of Jesus as Paul prays and says. 
May the veil be lifted on their hearts and their minds. May the enemy be conquered, not with a smooth stone, but with the stone that was rolled away. May the enemy be conquered by the mediator Jesus, whose light shines forth and illuminates the darkness. May we seek your face. May we see your glory. May we know that we can find it in Jesus. And if we have it, we have something infinitely better than Moses. And may we rest in that and bask in that and glory in that, celebrate that and ring it out in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.